that's going to be unpleasant to listen to. Oh, is that actually being recorded? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's we're not going to use that. Yeah, we're going to use that. So should we say hello? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we're past it now. I thought we were just testing the levels. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were. But we were also making a meaningful contribution to snort history. Uh, now you understand the full Leroy experience. Oh, my God. The Leroy Jenkins little baby snorts. I don't think people know. We got to try to get it on Mike once. Yeah. he. If I if I were to entice him over here close enough to the mic, he would snort. But yeah, If you were to lower your face for him to give you a lick on the nose. Yeah. He gives kisses, but he can't. He can't do it without snorting, so he just snorts all the time. Our it's little really piglet. Cute. He snores a lot, too. He might have sleep apnea. <laughs> oh, he definitely has sleep apnea. <laughs> it's, it's pretty loud. He's like part pig and part cow and part dog. Yeah, he likes to graze yeah. in the pasture that is our garden that we didn't do this year, so it's all overgrown. That's so funny. He jumps over the chicken wire fence I put around it. He does a vertical leap of like three feet. Uh-huh. He's so weird. And he stands in this tiny little pasture <laughs> and he just eats things that he shouldn't eat. That garden area has grass in it that is taller than me. Yeah. I don't know how. I didn't know that could happen. Yeah. Well, it's, it's taller than I am. That's what happens when you neglect something for right. like a whole season. <laughs> Nature has taken it back. Yep. Um, I regret, I regret not having a garden. Yeah. It's I just I just shrug my shoulders and go COVID. Yeah, it was overwhelming at the time, and the, I like I heard you mention to someone the other day about it at at the time that you would normally be going and buying the plants and stuff. It was like the yeah. beginning of all this, and so like right when no one was going anywhere ground. at all for any purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. <sighs> We've done other things. Yeah, that's true. We've failed at growing other things since then, That's like true. mushrooms. Yeah, I'm sure we talked about our mushroom failure. Yeah, I think we did. Um, we are not mushroom farmers. We are not. I've, I've been on a meringue kick. Yeah. Been making lots of meringues for no real reason. That's another very popular thing is COVID baking, so it makes yeah. sense. I don't think most people are making <laughs> meringue cookies I don't think of so all either. things, but I am. I would say that is among the least popular things to Oh, no. What? Leroy has got his head caught in the afghan my grandma knitted for me. Would you like me to go release him from his net? Look at him. He's just got his head stuck inside of it. (laughs) There he is. Weird. Anyway. No, yeah. Most people are not doing meringues, but it's it's been pretty successful. So I I bought myself some more piping tips Mm -hmm. and um, lots and lots of flavors and then realized that you also have lots of flavors left over from your vaping days. So I have lots of options. Yeah, those same flavors that you use in making vape stuff are just candy flavoring. So we've got just a butt ton of stuff. I am. I my most recent ones have been. uh, What were they? Kiwi, uh, I am so distracted by what's yeah. going on behind me. Yeah, a small battle. Not was kiwi, uh, key lime yeah. pie and orange cream. So those were the ones I made most recently for our friend Mel. 
Well, I made them anyway, but I gave some to our friend Mel to try. Yeah. I've also been messing with sugar-free versions, but she might have an issue with some sugar-free sweeteners. So I just made her regular ones. Um, They came out good. She said she thought it tasted like fruity pebbles, which I think is a combination of just like general fruity flavors with the crunchiness of a meringue. Yeah. I understand that. That texture is nice. Yeah. And it melts in your mouth. It's very nice. My mm-hmm. mom had never had meringues before, mm-hmm. and so I made some sugar-free ones when we, I went over to my brother's, and she enjoyed them. Your mom had never had guacamole until like two years ago. Yes. And meringues now, so I think she's on a real like journey <laughs> of self-discovery. Up. She's catching up. Yeah. She's learning lots of things. <laughs> the world of foods. Yeah. But yeah, hmm. so that's that's what I'm into yeah. these days. Yeah. Um. I've uh, I've just been playing No Man's Sky in VR, and it's all I want to do. Yeah, that's true. I had that thing on my head yesterday for, like, a total of, like, eight hours. You played during the day, and then I went to bed at, like, 11, and you stayed up till 3 (laughs) playing it, and then stayed up another two hours. It's it's so consuming. Honestly, like, this is, I think, the most obsessed I've been with anything in VR. Yeah. It's just, like, it's growing on me big time. Part of it is that you said it feels like very organic and immersive yeah. in that game. They they did the VR gestures so well. Like they were very thoughtful about the things that you do. Yeah. Like to it, to get things to work in the game. The gesture of reaching over your shoulder and pulling your like blaster out from behind your back is so cool. Yeah. It's just like I don't know something about it is great. You feel like a like a gunslinger or something. Yeah. Um I don't know. Like a lot of I feel like a lot of VR games basically just use the buttons on the controller, you know, in kind of a stock manner. And so you hit a button and you you switch gun or whatever, you know. Yeah, I think it's it's way more fun and way more immersive when you associate it with a gesture. Yeah. That you would actually do in real life if you were doing that thing. Like that's really cool and thoughtful. Here's what I can't wait for. EA is making a another Rogue Squadron game. Okay. Like where you pilot like Star Wars vehicles and shit. I want to play that. It's coming to VR. If I get to pilot an X-Wing with my hands on the controls. That would be cool. That's going to be so freaking awesome. Yeah, I want to play that. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) So you are drinking some coffee and I am drinking, drinking chocolate. Drinking chocolate. Um, <laughs> brewing chocolate more specifically, and yeah. even more specifically, it's cryo brew, C-R-I-O brew. Okay. Um, I mentioned I gave Mel some meringue cookies, and in exchange, she let me try some of the, the brewing chocolate that she ordered. Mm-hmm. I have doctored this with a little bit of um, cream, creamer, and uh, it's like Italian cream flavored creamer. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of Splenda. It's quite good. Yeah. Drinking chocolate. Drinking chocolate. Basically. It makes me feel like a fancy lady. Basically what we used to call hot chocolate. It's drinking chocolate. (laughs) Yeah. The elite know it as drinking chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's a, I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's a kind of a fancy (laughs) beverage where you put chocolate in your coffee maker. (laughs) Now, okay, so it would be made even fancier if I actually had, like, a gold filter like they tell you to use, but I do not. Do they mean, like, actually made of gold? 
I think it's a gold-plated filter, but yes. Okay, because we have a metal mesh filter in the coffee pot, like a reusable metal mesh filter. They call for gold. That is... And not paper. I don't even know what that is. (laughs) I don't know why you would need a gold filter. So, okay, so I listened to an episode of a podcast, and it's for the life of me. The name is going to escape me right now. Kirsten knows it. She told me to listen to it, but it's... All about, like, food and, like, cutlery and stuff like that. Like, a a lot of information. But they talk about the different metals you can use for, like, eating utensils and the different flavors they impart. Do you need to pause? No, yeah, Leroy, come here. Leroy. He's, like, in the back room. What are you doing back there? Oh, God. Such a little punk. See, if we did this earlier, he would just sleep over there, but it's now afternoon and he's slept all day, so now right. he's getting into shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so there's this person who's done like a lot of research into the kinds of metals you can use for eating oh. utensils and the experience that they impart. And at one point, and possibly still, you could order a kit in which they give oh. you a utensil all these utensils are different metals and they tell you what to eat with it. Like eat mango sorbet on this and what? on each different spoon. And it has a totally different flavor profile based on what metal you eat it off of. No way. Really? This is a real thing. What? I should have you listen to this episode of this podcast. It's, um, it's really interesting. And. Uh, oh my God. The dogs. They've literally collided with the table. What is happening today? <laughs> like something's off. Like the pH of this room is off, and I think it's the dogs. Oh my god! <laughs> Do we need to like take? Go a lay break? down, Leroy. Go. <laughs> I thought about bringing their toys downstairs, but I thought that might create more problems. Uh, the sound of them chewing rubber in the background is yeah. not going to be good. Um, so yeah, this is like a whole thing. So I imagine it's, it's based on that, that they think the flavor that gold imparts is better for brewing chocolate than, than other things. Okay. That's weird though. Like is the the implication that like it will bring some gold along with it? No. Well, I don't know what their intention is. The cryo brew people. I have no idea. Oh my God. And they're also on top of me. This is a disaster. Can you pause it? Yeah, hold on. We'll be right back. Okay, sorry about that. Oh, um, my goodness. Yeah, I have no idea what the int- intention of the cryo brew people is for why they say to use gold. But yeah. um, according to this person who's done all this research, gold has a different flavor than other metals. So it could possibly be that, like, they just think the flavor of gold is better. And... I believe that person who's done that research said gold is the best flavor Do you of metal. remember that, like, ice cream guy? Like, the ice cream taste tester dude that was, like, featured in that, like, early H3 video, Warm It Up, That's a 10? No. Do you, <laughs> you remember that? The guy who's, like, he's, like, talking about how he tests ice cream. And he's got, like, a scoop full of ice cream on a golden spoon. And he eats it, and he's going... He's like aerating his palate while he eats it. And he's going mm-hmm. flavors, cream, <laughs> like 
I don't remember this. You don't remember this? But the gold spoon is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I totally forgot about that until just now. <laughs> but I think that that's a thing. Warm it up. That's a 10. Do you remember <laughs> that? Ten. I don't remember. I'm told. I'm telling you, I don't remember this. Well, it's it's like really, it's fairly unforgettable because Ethan replaced his eyes with his mouth, so they're all his Ooh. mouth and eyes are all going like. <laughs> That's very strange. Yeah, it is very strange. It's bothering me that I can't remember the name of this podcast, so I'm trying to find it. Um, Gastropod is the name of the podcast, and it's the very first episode titled The Golden Spoon. Okay. And it's about utensils and their history and how people use them, and then eventually the different metals and the flavors. And there's like, there might even be like a museum dedicated to this. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's very strange, but it makes sense. Yeah. But like, Stainless steel definitely has a flavor. Silver definitely has a flavor. Yeah. Um, I guess that's true. Do you think about it? If you put while, a spoon in your mouth, you, yeah, like you silver, silver was like what people wanted, right? But apparently the flavor that it imparts isn't that great. Yeah. Gold is where it's at, apparently. Isn't there something to the thing about silver turning you your blood bluish or something weird? <laughs> Um, it can if you ingest a lot of silver. Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember that being like tied to and the phrase the blue, blue bloods. bloods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For like a, for like a reason. I, I feel like they're connected. That could be a bunch of bullshit, but I remember reading something yeah. about that. It can. There have been people who've ingested like a lot of colloidal silver and they have turned blue. Yeah. Or they like naturally produce things similar to that and they turn blue. One of the guys I used to work with, like had colloidal silver as like pills or something like that and would take mm -hmm. it as like a supplement. My, I think my dad has like an ointment or something. Yeah. It's just, I don't know what people are doing. <laughs> people putting it in their bodies. I don't get it. <laughs> so I was going to tell a story about a cool dream I had. I don't know. If <laughs> yeah, you should. So this is exciting for me because I don't remember my dreams most of the time. Yeah. And when I do, they're usually like fairly boring and not that interesting. But the other night I had this really cool dream <laughs> and a little bit scary. If you guys remember like James Patterson novels and like the movies that came out with Morgan Freeman in them. Where Which they're, I like, don't. Psychological thriller murder mystery things. And a lot of times there's like a strong female lead character or mm -hmm. something, which of course is Morgan Freeman. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> no, it's Ashley Judd in that movie. But Morgan Freeman is the strong female lead we need. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is Morgan Freeman not cool anymore? I think he's not cool anymore. I haven't heard anything. Oh, yeah. Morgan Freeman is solidly under a, um, a Me Too umbrella. Oh, geez. Yeah. That was a big thing. Like, all these women were like, yeah, working with him is super horrible because he's like a big creep. Oh, man. Everyone's awful. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> um. So, anyway. Uh, it was, it, so get that feeling of like the early 2000s psycho drama, psycho thriller drama. With a thoroughly, drama. <laughs> with a thoroughly unblemished Morgan Freeman. Uh, he's not in my dream. Oh, okay, good. Um, but basically for some reason there's this little shop. It is in the physical location where my childhood home is, mm. but it's a shop and 
Um, I think there's like food and little gifts and stuff. And someone I knew owned it and I was helping, like working there to help. So I'm in the shop one day and like a bunch of people I know come in, including my cousin and in the dream, her husband, who is not the person who was her husband in real life, Mm -hmm. who is in fact a very lovely human being. (laughs) But in the dream, he's this guy and I don't really know him. And he's like being kind of creepy and he's making all of these like subtle hints that he's like up to no good. He's like nefarious, but no one else is a murderer. Yeah, but he he he's like not coming out and saying anything, but I I'm wise to it, you know. So I'm getting these hints, but I'm giving hints back <laughs> that like I know what he's up to. <laughs> I, I'm just gonna say now, this is the most Christy Davenport dream ever. Confronted with the evil villain, I you, have to taunt him. You are dropping subtle hints that you know the nature of his true villainy. Instead of just going, hey, guys, I think this guy's up to no good. (laughs) Yeah. You have to play this, like, really subversive (laughs) cat and mouse game. Yes. (laughs) Instead of just be like, hey, something's wrong with that. Yeah, so that's what happens. And uh, so he knows I'm on to him. Yeah. And so, you know, the day goes by, whatever. So later I'm in the shop by myself, closing up or whatever. And then he's there. And I don't remember a lot of like actually happens in this scene, but I was doing something and I had like this knife and he Mm -hmm. starts coming after me and he chases after me. I run out of the store and he thinks I'm going to go one way and he's like hopping in his truck so he can follow me or something. And so in the moment, as I'm passing by his truck, I decide to go the opposite way, but I slash his tire (laughs) with this like horrible like doll knife i have i like somehow <laughs> slash the tire of his truck and i run the opposite way and it's like action movie hero right just yeah. like running and i look around and like like i turn my head around and like in slow motion at the end of the like at the stop sign at the end of the road he, his he goes to turn and his tire blows and his truck just like flips over like three times <laughs> And that's where I wake up. It's just like action movie, do a badass thing while I'm running away and the car flips and I see it and I wake up. It's, I think it's very funny that just like <laughs> flat tires are enough to throw his vehicle so <laughs> off balance that's that it. he flips three times. It was like a movie. It was a goofy even even in the moment, I was like, that's not really how that happens. But it yeah. was so cool. I kind of feel like that's like in the movies where like a car crashes into a tree and then like explodes everywhere. Like the the movie 21, the movie they made of 21 Jump Street made fun of that really well. Where mm-hmm. like someone crashes into like an oil tanker and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. But then someone crashes into like a truck holding a lot of chickens on the back of it and it explodes <laughs> a really really funny oh moment. that reminds me what was that movie it was um oh <clears throat> one of those uh um ah, shoot the guy that made dolomite Rudy, oh, yeah, Rudy yeah. ray moore right uh-huh. that movie where the vehicle full of watermelons explodes <laughs> everywhere and there's just yeah. like a rain of watermelons yeah and we saw that. We're like, we have to see that movie. Yeah, we, we watched the best of the worst episode about them. 
Yeah, I think they did a special. Um, it was all. It was a special best of the worst. Movies. Yeah, it was just about. Um, well, that one in particular was the devil's son-in-law. <laughs> what was his name? It was in the Forget. theme song. It was really da, funny. Da, da, da. I can't remember what his name was. Shit. I don't know either. Anyway, yeah. We we decided we have to watch some Rudy Ray Moore movies. Yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of think it's a moral imperative. I wrote down also just now listening to you talk about your dream again. I just realized I want to watch The Fugitive again. I haven't seen that in a, a long great time. Movie. Yeah, I haven't watched it in a while either. It's classic Harrison Ford. Yeah, you know my drinking chocolate is now cold, but it doesn't matter because it's still chocolate. Yep, hot chocolate, cold chocolate. You're drinking chocolate. It's all just chocolate. Mm-hmm. You know what I kind of feel for to go with my drinking chocolate? Uh, God, you could say anything right now. The possibilities are so open. I can't begin to guess what you are about to say. A game. <sighs> One in a million. <laughs> well, that's, that's good news because I got a game ready. Mm. That's very nice. Yeah, it's called Trues and News. Oh. You mean to tell me why you wouldn't happen to me. It's time for Trues and News. Everyone's playing. Everyone's playing a famous game. Famous game. The game that's taking the internet by storm. A Merv Griffin production. We don't have to talk about what it is. Let's just get right into it. No, I really think you should remind me what it is. Should I? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You and I know what it is. I I don't. You don't. I don't know what that is. You don't know what Trues and Fnews is. No. Okay. I, w- I would recall if, a, I mean, Trues and Fnews is a memorable name. If I had <laughs> played name. this countless times, let's say something like 109 times, <laughs> 108 times before now, if I had played it, I think I'd remember, but I have no recollection. So I think you should tell me how All it goes. All right, fine. I'll do that. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> Truths and Fuse is a game, an internet game, a classic game, a game that's taking the internet by storm, in which I present to you three stories. Two of these stories are false stories, news. One of these stories is a true story. Truths, you have to discern which of these stories, the truths, is the truths, or the news is the news. <laughs> I got weird at the end. <laughs> you said which of these stories is the truth. It's the truth, the truth. Yeah. Or the flu. <laughs> the flu. Right. But once I did it wrong, <laughs> once I did it wrong for truths, I had to do it. <laughs> For news. Oh, oh, it, it explains it so <laughs> Great self-reflexive definition that is oh. very unhelpful. Okay. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> anyway, you I'll ready to play? I'll muddle my way through. I'll figure it out. <laughs> you have to tell which of the truths stories is the truths <laughs> and which of the news stories is the, is the news. <laughs> All right. You better. All right. You better buckle in. All right. Number. <laughs> 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 Why are we like this today? I don't know. All right. Um, okay. Number one. A new record was set in Huntington, West Virginia, as a family has constructed the world's largest tiny house. At human scale, it's proportioned at 5 foot by 10 foot, but it's been blown up to 30 foot by 60 foot and 72 feet high. So it's for giants? It's a tiny house for giants. All right. Number two. 
Restorations of the governor's mansion in Montana had workers scratching their heads when they discovered several taxidermied foxes, squirrels, and a flamingo hidden in the walls of the master bedroom. All right. Number three. In Lake Charles, Louisiana, officials voted to keep a Confederate statue standing. Then, just days later, God said nope, and the statue was ripped to the ground by Hurricane Laura. All right, I want a refresher. All right, one more. Number one, a new record was set in Huntington, West Virginia, as a family has constructed the world's largest tiny house. At human scale, it's proportioned at 5 foot by 10 foot, but it's been blown up to 30 foot by 60 foot and 72 feet high. Okay. Uh, Number two, restorations of the governor's mansion in Montana had workers scratching their heads when they discovered several taxidermied foxes, squirrels, and a flamingo hidden in the walls of the master bedroom. Number three, in Lake Charles, Louisiana, officials voted to keep a Confederate statue standing. Just days later, God said nope, and the statue was ripped to the ground by Hurricane Laura. So I have a confession. (sighs) You maybe know which one it is. I already know which one it is. See, I should have gone with something more obscure. I saw it on the interwebs. Mm, I'm sorry. That's all right. Are you? What about you out there? What do you think? Uh huh. Uh huh. And why is that? My God, this is painful. Well, all right. I guess I'll tell you which one is the truth then. <laughs> oh God. Um. You were wrong. <laughs> so just to prove that I know. Yeah. Um. Number three, <sighs> Hurricane Laura. I. Oh, let me give my recaps. But Hurricane Laura mm-hmm. knocking over the statue is the truth. No. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know it is. <laughs> um, yeah. I hate my, when this happens. This yeah. this has only happened like four times in the history of Trues and Fleas. Yeah, we have a fairly good track record. Yeah. Okay. It has. It's the first time it's happened recently, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, my first one is a tiny house for giants in Huntington, West Virginia. Is that you, McElroy's? Ah, the Because it seems like something they would yeah, do. Yeah, it does seem like something they would um, do. Rancho. Parade, remember that? Yeah, when they, they tried to rebrand and, tarantulas. And the tarantula into a friendly <laughs> animal everyone could like, and they called them ranchos. Yep. Uh, second one I just called Taxidermy Palooza. Uh, third one I called Hurricane Laura Suffers No Fools. Mm. Hey, can we do a can we do a fun thing? What's which that? of the other two would you have guessed? Um, if you didn't have the third the one. The thing is, those were both really good because I could see someone like the McElroy's doing the first one. Mm-hmm. And people are finding weird shit in houses when they go to, like, yeah. update the house and stuff all the time. I always wonder if there's, like, a Great Depression kind of cash <clears throat> stash somewhere in this house. Yeah. Um, like, like Even the dude better, that- a Great Depression era <laughs> Cat stash, which is just taxidermied <laughs> cats. No, it's just like the dude that lived here. I just always wonder, like, it's in his so old weird age, that he... you did taxidermy because that's going to come up in my story. <laughs> there is a mention of taxidermy. Oh, so really? It's very weird. Hmm. Um, I don't know which one I would have <laughs> chosen because those are both really good. I I think I might have chosen the second one. Yeah, that yeah. one. That one. When I was writing it, I'm like, this is so weird. It almost feels like it has to be true. Well, like, I, I mean, I don't know how many people who listen to us also have listened to My Favorite Murder, but they talk about stories of, like, people finding weird shit 
in walls and stuff all the time. Like people yeah. send them their stories of this happening and it it's like really common. Yeah. And obviously like a bunch of weird taxidermy is not common, but I could see it happening. So just real briefly, the, the thing about this house and like the guy that lived here before. And the reason this, that I this house, the one we live the in, the one we are in, not the governor's mansion of Montana. I don't know yes. anything about that. <clears throat> um, I don't even know if they have one. I assume they do. Um, the, the so the dude that lived in this house before I moved in, but you know, before, he, you know, anyway, he uh, he was a World War Two vet mm-hmm. and he was captured at the Battle of the Bulge. He was actually mm. a POW. Oh, and he's documented in uh, in uh, Youngstown State University's oral history project. Mm-hmm. Someone like interviewed him. There's like okay. you can read his story. I'm assuming you looked him up after you moved in because you were curious. Yeah, I, well, I did. I can't remember why either. I feel this like one of those like I live in his house and there's still some of his things here and you're curious. Here's the weirder thing is that like I looked him up before I moved in. Oh, okay. And when I got the keys from his son. I was able to be like, listen, I just want you to know I read up about your dad and like he sounds like a hero. Like mm-hmm. I was able to actually know this before I moved in. OK, what did his son say? He was he he, he was like obviously like still very much missing his dad. So like, yeah. I don't know. I wanted to say something nice to him. Um, but like the story is very compelling. He was he was captured, you know, and and so the, the whole point of me saying this is that I always wonder if a guy like that who like. Went through some real shit. Yeah, like if he maybe had some kind of secret <laughs> stuff in the walls in case of an emergency, you know, like, uh, I don't know. It's just like, it's one of those things that like, probably not, but it just kind of chews at your head a little bit. Well, it, there's only one solution. Take down every wall. Yep. Rip everything out. Yep. Destroy our house utterly. <laughs> And then never fully put it back together. This house is going to be an open floor plan. There will be no rooms. There will be no floors. <laughs> it will be a door That's that goes they into mean. a hole in the basement. That's what they mean by open floor plan, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> open floors. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so, no, you were right. The uh, The Confederate statue was toppled by a uh, an angry god <laughs> by way of hurricane. That's the way I'm choosing to interpret it. I like it. Um, it does. It strikes me as very interesting that just the coincidence of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, apparently it was a a uh, statue dedicated to like all of. I can't remember what they call it, like the, the the fighters of the South or the defenders of the South or some shit like that. Yeah. So it's like a multi-purpose catch-all statue dedicated to like the Confederacy in general. So it's just a guy shown being traitorous, he's like actively being <laughs> yes. a traitor. Yeah, he's like <laughs> nodding, but he's got his fingers crossed behind his back. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it just strikes me as like, uh, regardless of how you feel about this monument shit, it does strike me as uh, com- compelling. I it was recently having a conversation with someone. It, you know, it's not very often that someone changes their mind on something mm-hmm. but i was having a conversation well i wasn't really having a conversation i was in the room when other people were having a conversation about this kind of thing yeah and one person was like you know i used to feel that way too because basically the opinion that was expressed was like it's our history no it wasn't that far 
which okay. is good. But it was more like, I don't get what the big deal is, whatever kind of thing. Like, why are they making a big deal of it? Which also isn't good. I actually find that opinion more annoying, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. But the the other person was like, you know, I used to feel that way, too. But then, like, I did some reading and realized, you know, oh, I think they said something about, like, you know, it's history yeah. as well. And he's like, you know, they put these statues up, like, in the 70s. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, this, this like, like once I realized that, I had a lot less, like, empathy for it. Yeah. And, and it's not very often that... Someone changes their opinion and but like through doing a little reading and like actually caring yeah. enough to pay attention was like, oh, yeah, no, like those statues are kind of bullshit and I got no problem with people wanting to take them down. So it was on John Oliver's program that I learned that the statue of Nathan Bedford Forrest or whatever that would like they had a big dedication ceremony to it. You know, <laughs> there's video footage of it in color because it was so recent and like. <laughs> The you know that the, that shit went up at a time where the message is pretty clearly like, hey, we haven't we we are not right. letting this go. It it came up as a they were constructed as a clear message to make people during the civil rights movement to tell black people that they were not okay with them. Yeah. That's why they went up. And that's not a message I want to honor. That's not a part of history that I embrace. Okay, here's the thing. I'm just going to, I'm going to, here's a hot take. This is the hot take segment of the show where I issue <laughs> hot takes. All right. I'm hungry for some hot takes. Hit me. I appreciate the idea that statues have a historical significance. Mm-hmm. Even if that's like an ugly historical significance that we shouldn't be celebrating, they have a historical significance. So put them all in a big museum dedicated to this shitty, shitty part of our history. And shame them adequately. <laughs> or at least just like regard them for what they are. And like to people who are like, well, it's our history. Fair enough. Put it where it we is. put historical shit. Yeah, it's a history of being fucking awful and, yeah, like, and willfully racist and then trying to cover that racism with something else. Maybe it belongs in a museum and not in our public squares where. They nah, I'm fine with dismantling them and letting them be rubble. I'm kind of OK with it, too. But I'm just saying, like, the, <laughs> al the alternative is they shouldn't be in public places where they attempt to stand for us. That doesn't make right. sense. All right. Hot take. This has been hot takes. <laughs> well, every time you say hot takes, I just think of hot cakes and I then I want pancakes. A big old stack of hot takes. All right. With butter. Oh, man. There's this place in Pittsburgh called Doorstop, and they have the most delicious hotcakes. And mm. I haven't been there in years, but they were featured on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> With that uh, guy, Fieri. And they were on the same street as uh, where I got my gnome tattoo. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I think we've exhausted the beginning of the show. Yeah, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Me, was exhausted. Shh, don't talk about it. Oh, don't, don't acknowledge him. I wake up. <laughs> um, all right, why don't we take a break? We'll come back with the main segment of this episode. All right. Sound good? Mm-hmm. Does, does sound good. Fern, fern. Fern, fern. <laughs> all right, be right back. All right. Thank you. 
we are back. And we're back. I have got to get a less rickety chair. Yeah. The sound of that one thing drives me nuts. Just we this. gotta get you a better chair. There's probably that chair right there is probably better. But it's the same chair. Not every chair is as rickety as another chair. That's true. Um, let's get into this. Let's do it. <laughs> Instead of talking about our rickety ass chairs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> really? You don't want to do a 20 minute chunk on rickety chairs? Nah, not really. All right. My topic today. Mm-hmm. Episode 109. Mm-hmm. Is local celebrities and not, not by that I do not mean famous people from your town, but I mean those people in a town that are so interesting or unique that they become a celebrity in their own right. I'm going to call it right now. You were inspired by Greg from uh, Public Displays of Confection to do this. Really? No. Because I thought he would definitely. He's an example, at least. Yes, I do think he's like that. And I I love that man. Yeah. Um, But no, I was inspired by someone else you know about who is relatively local to us. Super oh, Pimp. Oh, yeah. Super Pimp. How did we hear about Super Pimp? We heard about Super Pimp um, <laughs> watching a video of Connor O'Malley, who is the dad from Joe Para Talks with you, oh, uh, yeah. going to the Republican National Convention in That's Cleveland. right. And he actually snags like a decent chunk of time with Super Pimp. Yeah, this guy comes around and is like, cheer up, bud. And he <laughs> takes him out on the town. And we're like, who is this guy? And yeah. he's referred to as Super Pimp. And we had to look him up. Immediately we're like, what the fuck is that? And there's an article in Cleveland Scene Magazine about him. It's a great article. Okay. Um, I didn't read, I read up this. on him a lot, so I'm glad great. you did. I read this and I was like, "There, it's not enough for a full episode. So I've padded it out with mm-hmm. a little, some other characters. But yeah. um, he's worth knowing about. So he is known as Super Pimp. His name, his real name is David Michael Toth. He's from Cleveland, Ohio. Well, mm-hmm. he lives in Cleveland, Ohio now. Yeah. Um, someone was quoted as saying, everyone in Cleveland knows two people, LeBron James and Super Pimp. <laughs> <clears throat> so let me set the scene. Yeah. You're in downtown Cleveland. I'm not sure why. You're in a club. Again, I'm not sure why you've done this to yourself. <laughs> You're taking in the scenery and you see this middle-aged man with a mustache and expressive eyebrows wearing mm-hmm. a highlighter pink suit. Yeah. All eyes are on him. He's signing autographs and garnering attention, a lot of which is from attractive young women. He's probably got a lady on each arm. Mm-hmm. And then after enjoying a couple of bourbons or snake bites or two, he's off to the next club. Uh, his normal haunts are Velvet Dog, Barley House, and the Blind Pig on West 6th. Sometimes he gets an early start over at Bar Louie mm-hmm. to catch some of the tourists. Um, you know, those tourists of Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> and and here's, here's a quote from the article, which I thought was so well written and sets the scene so well, if you want an idea of what this guy is uh-huh. or what he looks like. No matter where Toth goes, no matter the crowd, the curious draw in for a closer look, trying to get the score on why a guy with 30 years on the rest of the room shows up looking like a cryogenically preserved 70s swinger who's been de-iced and taken shopping at a Detroit police auction. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, that sounds familiar. I think I read it to you when I read it because it's a great description. Yeah. Do yourselves a paper. A paper? Do yourselves a paper. Do yourselves a paper. (laughs) Do yourselves a (laughs) 
favor and look up Super Pimp or David Toth. This article will probably come up. Mm -hmm. Um, He also has a website. So you can just see his pictures and stuff on there, too. Yeah, Um, he he does. He has a website. I remember looking that up immediately. He'll like. He'll, he'll, he does like he'll do events motivational I'll, speaking I do get to that later so yeah. um but it so this whole thing going to a club and all this sounds super painful to me it's not my thing yep but if you could imagine the type of person who gains energy by making strangers smile amusing them by being who he is and maybe encouraging people to feel okay being themselves just by unabashedly parading around town then you're beginning to understand, yeah, the man that we call Super Pimp. Yeah. Um, so he didn't exit the womb in a sank skin suit, which he does have one. But from a young age, he had the confidence to just be who he was. He joined a dance class with his sister as a teenager and persisted despite harassment from his football friends. Mm-hmm. His true motivation wasn't his love of dance. However, it was getting to interact with the attractive female dance partners. Mm-hmm. His experience with dance led him to the stage for a performance of West Side Story, earning him an invitation to perform at Cleveland's Hannah Theater. He was hooked, fueled by how a crowd returned his energy. Yeah. His theater career wasn't meant to be, as his country had other ideas in mind for David Toth. Oh, no. In 1968, he was drafted into the Army to fight in Vietnam. And originally, he turned down the opportunity to go to officer school He changed his mind after he witnessed a sergeant beating an out-of-shape private to the point of brain damage. Wait, what? So he reported it. And then on the home front, because you know how the military was, especially at that time, Mm -hmm. like, there's movies about it. You don't just report this stuff. Yeah, right. So... He also told his family, he told his dad about what he witnessed and and that he reported it uh, because it was wrong and awful. And so his dad went to local people, Congress people, and eventually the base got a call from Washington saying, you do not touch Toth. Yeah. Like there cannot be one hair out of place on his head because we know like. Yeah, right. Can't. That's retaliation, and we'll know it. Yeah, so after the dust settled, he decided he was going to go to officer school after all because he was hoping that he could be a positive influence if he had the power to do things the straight and fair way. Mm -hmm. So then he rises through the ranks. Uh, He's eventually in charge of 300-man intelligence company in Okinawa. Wow. He then became an aide to a general, delivering secret messages in a locked briefcase that was shackled to his wrist. No shit. Yep. He was a captain by age 24 working in the States for the NSA. And he planned to stay in the Army for a long time and earn a hefty pension. But when things were winding down after 1973, the Army cut loose officers that didn't have a college degree. Wow. So then he was back in Lorain, Ohio with no plan. Oh, my God. And the way he talks about the military is that, like, it was the perfect job for him. Like, it was... There's things that you do things the way you're supposed to do them. And if you do them well, you rise up the ranks and there's order and Mm -hmm. rules and structure. And he loved it. Mm -hmm. And he's not the only person that I've heard stories that like really enjoyed being in the military, even if everything about it wasn't positive. Mm -hmm. They did love it. And for one reason or another, were unable to continue their career and weren't necessarily helped by the military afterwards and that's really fucking shitty yeah um 
But he served his country, and then he was back in Lorain, Ohio, and didn't really know what to do. So for a while, he was a bouncer at a bar in Amherst, Mm -hmm. which is a name that came up in our game um, of Monster of the Week last night, which I laughed when that came up. But Mm -hmm. uh, So he served through the late 70s and 80s, uh, rolling the dice on entrepreneurial ventures. Eventually, he moved to Phoenix, where he sold uh, stereos. And when the bank account was low, he would try something else. Mm-hmm. He said that's when his, you know, juices got flowing was when he had to figure something out. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had money, I was in the comfort zone. But what really got my creative juices going is when I didn't have any money. Then I knew I would have to go out and let everything flow to make something happen. The whole thing was not to work hard. Yeah. In 83, he returned home to Ohio by September. And unfortunately, that Christmas Eve, his mom suffered a debilitating stroke. Um, so it just, you know, happenstance that he came home when he did and had a little more time with her. And then in the nineties, he kind of bottomed out. He followed a love interest to Alliance. And when it didn't work out, he became a fixture in the bars. Uh, he stood out in the eye catching suits he had started collecting in the eighties. And at the end of the night, he returned to an unheated trailer in a small town in Stark County. Um, no one knew the people he went out with, the people who saw him out who liked his, you know, crazy personality, had no idea that that's the kind of life that he was living. Yeah, right. I would not ever have guessed that. Yeah. So he couldn't get a job. Both of his parents had passed away. He had lost several friends to cancer. He's just in a very bad place. And the one thing he looked forward to were visits with his daughter, Kelly, who was born in 1994. And even those were fewer and far between than he'd like because they were having a custody dispute. Mm-hmm. And one day he was playing with his daughter and she got this look on her face and he felt like she was sizing him up like the, like she was little, you yeah. know, but she he just felt like she was looking at like really looking at him. OK. And he he that was when he decided he had to figure something out for his life. Like look, he could just float by. He's like, my daughter is looking at me like, what's this dude about? <laughs> <laughs> It's funny, though, how kids can do that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure she wasn't really thinking that, but but they make you self-reflect, right? Yeah, right. Because you, you want to earn their feelings for you. A little bit. You kind of see the way that they feel about you just from how they look at you. And that, yeah. it's, that can be kind of revelatory. So he responded to a radio ad looking for salespeople for progressive insurance. And he got the job and he moved to Menor, Ohio. It wasn't long before he was checking out the local nightlife, basically as soon as he got his first paycheck. So until he got custody, full custody of his daughter, he worked a late shift at Progressive until 9 p.m. And he didn't want to get late start going out. So he would bring his loud suits with him so he could start his evening at a reasonable time. Mm-hmm. And a change in the bathroom at the end of the workday, he said his coworkers could uh, set their clocks by him. And now that he has Kelly full time, at, at least according to the article, I don't know when that came out. Uh, he starts his days earlier, clocks out at five, cooks dinner for his daughter, and then dons his crazy suit and he heads out. Huh. Um, though a crowd often gathers around him, he doesn't have a posse. He doesn't go out with a group of people. It's just him. Yeah. Uh, he also said he's single and he doesn't intend to change that anytime soon. Hmm. Um. Even at a family gathering, Toth wears one of his famous suits. His sister says he's always the butt of the family's jokes, but it just rolls off of him. 
On this occasion, Super Pimp is joined by five male fans ranging in age from their 20s to 30s, one of whom coined the moniker Super Pimp. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this name. I'm assuming it's wet because it's spelled N-G-E-T and N-G is usually the wet sound. But Paul Wet was on MySpace mm-hmm. when he noticed this same guy in bright suits showing up in pictures on all of his friends' pages. So he made a MySpace page for the guy randomly using the name Super Pimp because he obviously <laughs> didn't know his real name. Sure. Like, to, oh, God, that's so amazing. So, like, he does, <clears throat> he basically is approaching him like a like a. Who is this guy? Like, yeah. This, this guy's just like the super pimp. He's everywhere. He's so discovering he and documenting a man yeah. known only to him as super pimp. Yeah. So the page gained popularity like overnight. It, yeah. The people wanted to be friends with the page and all this. And eventually he filled in Toth when he met him in person. Like, like listen, he, he ran into him. He was like, I have to tell you that. <laughs> I made this page about you, and he said Toth was super cool about it, and they kind of became friends. So, would that be a weird conversation to have, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like, listen, I know we've never met. I run a profile about you, and I right. and I I've created the character Super Pimp for you. Yeah, and he said he was cool about it, and he also witnessed people like chanting like Super Pimp, like when they see Toth, like it, it took off, and I, Toth I wonder, embraced it. I wonder if he noticed. People chanting super pimp. And was like, what is happening? Probably. That would have been really yeah. weird. So maybe for him, when someone was like, listen, <laughs> I made this page. I called it this. He was like, oh, well, at least that explains something. <laughs> boy, boy, that really puts my mind at ease. Because <laughs> people have just been calling me super pimp everywhere I go. But but also, if your personality is what Toast seems to be, if people just start chanting super pimp at you, he's probably like, yeah, all right. Yeah, it's a, I kind of um, am. <laughs> so these days, super pimp is investing in his brand. And, um, oh wait, I missed a bit. Uh, so among the family members who, who take super pimp in stride is Toast's own daughter, Kelly. So whereas most, this is directly from the article, whereas most teens might cringe Mm -hmm. if their father's social life were as amped up as Toast's, she just politely shrugs it off. He's just always been this way. She says, this is nothing new. (laughs) That that actually doesn't necessarily ring like. Sure, I'm proud of my old, my old. Well, it's not that she's proud, but it's also like, hey, this is just him, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I need to point out that he does this like four days a week that he goes out. Like this is. Wow. He is. He does this a lot. I struggle. I struggle to go out one day a week. Right. Um. These days, uh, Super Pimp is investing in his brand and making a go of being a professional famous person. Mm -hmm. He has a website, T-shirts, and he's bookable for events. I kind of um, want a super pimp T-shirt. I was gonna buy you one actually, but they didn't have our size. <laughs> oh, rats! It tops out at extra large, and I wanted to get us two X. I'm a two X guy. So I was gonna surprise you with one, but it oh. didn't work out. It is a really cool shirt, though. Yeah. Um, and he also there's a quote in the article where he says basically that like he's now famous for being famous he's like a he likes to say he's like a kardashian no talent but famous for being famous <laughs> and i thought that was like kind of self-aware and really funny yeah i was just gonna say that's a level of self-awareness i really appreciate in a person and you probably didn't expect from a guy who goes by super pimp yeah uh, <laughs> yeah exactly it, it gives it a little more context to know he didn't start calling himself that originally yes it does honestly 
that would be very obnoxious. Yeah. But he just ran with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it turns out Super Pimp is just kind of a normal dude, grateful for the life he has. He kind of gets like he tears up if he talks about his fans like yeah he he is really grateful for the fact that people like you know like him and think he's something interesting we should um, write him a letter yeah and uh he would just like to make a living off being himself and to that i say same yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the article is by kyle swenson in cleveland scene magazine and it's called the soul of super pimp if mm. anyone wants to check it out it's um really well written and really interesting did he make any um does he make any clarification on whether super pimping is easy or not uh he says in response to people who like inquire about him personally or ask him questions that uh pimping ain't easy well i I believe it. It's what I've heard before from I, other sources. It's been widely reported that pimping ain't easy. <laughs> he, yeah, he really does say that. <laughs> does he really? Yeah. <laughs> they mentioned that in the article. That's fucked. So the that's article funny. was my primary source. There's not, there's like a wiki page, but I think, but that's, it was with little stories like this, the best source of information yeah. is like an expose kind of article because they really get into details you can't get on Wikipedia. Highly recommend watching uh, Connor O'Malley's video of going to the <laughs> RNC in 2016 oh my God. where he stands in a public square and like talks about the Matrix and <sighs> masturbating and all these insane things. It's like painful. And then like ends up like he's in a tent. In a parking lot where he stays for the RNC and Super Pimp approaches Super him. Super Pimp shows up and saves him. He decks him out in some duds and they go around town. Yeah. I was trying to remember when I was doing this. I'm like, how did I hear about Super Pimp? I couldn't remember. So I'm glad that you <laughs> were able to share that. Oh, I think also that video, Connor O'Malley is like talking about the cure for America. Like all of our problems is Michael Jackson's black or white. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> He plays that uncomfortable character so convincingly. I think he might be a genius. Yeah. I thought you were going to say piece of shit. <laughs> you know, I think he might be a real piece of shit. <laughs> well, it's that thing about satire when it's done convincingly enough. Oh, he's so good. I mean, like I watched tons of his videos now <laughs> at this point. Yeah. He's met Alex Jones more than oh once. Oh, God. <sighs> it's, anyway. Anyway. Um, okay, so, so my next good. one, uh, this is such a great story and I don't know how I didn't know about it before. And I don't remember how I came across it. I, it came up when I was looking into something else and I was like, I have to write this down cause it needs to go into an episode at some point. Yeah. Have, have you heard of this? It's the emperor of the United States. <laughs> I have not. His real name is Joshua Abraham Norton. Um, he is a San Francisco figure. A figure. He's a figure. Much like Super Pimp. He's just much a like guy Super well Pimp, known. but from much longer ago. And in okay. his celebrity has staying power. I mean, he's still revered. The Emperor of America. Yeah. So he was born, uh, and he was born. That's all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He was born in February, February 4th of 1818. There's a lot of discussion on the Wikipedia about when his actual birth year is, but they've settled on 1818 for this. Okay. He died January 8th in 1880. 
Uh Um, He was born in England. Uh, He spent most of his early life in South Africa. His mother died in 1846 and his father died in 1848. And he sailed west, arriving in San Francisco, November 23rd, 1849, on the Francesca. Okay. He arrived with about $40,000, probably from his father's estate, and parlayed this into a fortune of $250,000, though this can't be substantiated. That's this is, good. Yeah. So he made a living as a business person, and he had a good deal of success in commodities markets and in real estate speculation. This is like the times of, like, the Wild West, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Well, gosh, back then, like, <clears throat> you know, the West was just sort of... Kind of like newly settled and yeah. Yeah. Like pe- like uh, uh, the the east half of America had just figured out about the west half of America being the next big thing. Right. So in 1852, um, he was one of the most prosperous and respected citizens of the city. But in 1852, uh, he lost his fortune investing in Peruvian rice. So... Wow, what a bizarre Let me tell you, let me tell you how. (laughs) China was facing severe famine, and so they placed a ban on the export of rice. Mm -hmm. And so the price in San Francisco rose sharply from $0.04 a pound to $0.36 a pound for rice. Wow. So the ship called the Glide came into port in San Francisco. It was returning from Peru with uh, 2,000 pounds of rice. And he bought the entire shipment for $25,000, 12 and a half cents a pound, hoping mm. to corner the market. So yeah. not necessarily the most goodwill thing he was doing. He was no. trying to make bank off of it. But yeah, that's definitely like uh, opportunistic. Yeah. So shortly after signing a contract for for all of this rice on this ship, several other shiploads of rice arrived from Peru. So the price plummeted to three cents a pound. He oh. bought it for 12 and a half cents a pound. Oh, he bought that thing and this is like all the rice. This is all the rice. And then more ships come in. Oh. So he tried to void the contract. He claimed he was misled as to the quality of the rice. <sighs> um, so he spent 1853 to 1856 in litigation with the rice dealers. He prevailed in lower courts, but it went all the way to the Supreme Court of California where they ruled against him. Wow. Um, Lucas Turner and Company Bank foreclosed on his real estate holdings in North Beach in order to pay his debt, and he filed for bankruptcy in 1858 and started living in reduced um, circumstances at a working-class boarding house. Mm -hmm. So in 1859, he was discontented with what he felt were the inadequacies of legal and political structures of the United States. In September 17th, 1859, he distributed letters to various newspapers in the city proclaiming himself Emperor of the United States. <laughs> At the peremptory request and desire of a large majority of... This is exactly what he wrote. Yeah. At the peremptory request and desire of a large majority of the citizens of the United States, I, Joshua Norton, formerly of Aljoa Bay, Cape of Good Hope, and now for the last nine years and ten months past part of... Uh, San Francisco, oh, nine years and ten months past, of San Francisco, California, declare and proclaim myself emperor of these United States, and in virtue of the authority thereby in me vested, do hereby order and direct the representatives of the different states of the Union to assemble in musical hall of this city on the first day of February next. 
then and there to make such alterations in the existing laws of the union as may ameliorate the evils under which the country is laboring and thereby cause confidence to exist both at home and abroad in our stability and integrity. Norton, the first emperor of the United States. <laughs> he, he's, he's a freeman on the range. Yeah. He does not consent to your laws. Announcement was printed by the editor of the San Francisco Daily Evening Bulletin uh, for the lols, basically. <laughs> he was like, yeah, this is hilarious. And so he printed it. Um, and, and thus began Norton's 21-year reign over America. He issued many decrees on matters of the state. Um, wow. And in... In October, October 12, 1859, he decreed that they should fully abolish Congress. Uh, he said, fraud and corruption prevent a fair and proper expression of the public voice. That open violation of the laws are constantly occurring caused by mobs, parties, factions, and undue influence of political sex. That the citizen has not that protection of person and property which he is entitled. And, you know, we've been better ever since he banished Congress. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> wow. February 1860, Norton ordered all interested parties to assemble at Platt's Music Hall in San Francisco to remedy the evil complained of. On March 1860, he summoned the army to depose the elected, elected officials of Congress. Norton's orders were obviously ignored, and Congress carried on congressing. Um, <laughs> he ordered the dissolution of the Republic. Okay. He forbade the assembly of any members of the former Congress. Uh, Norton's battle against elected leaders of America continued for the remainder of his life. In 1862, he issued a mandate that ordered Roman Catholic Church and Protestant churches to publicly ordain him as emperor. <laughs> and um, he was hoping to resolve the disputes that resulted in the Civil, civil War. In 1863, he added protect protector of mexico to his title after napoleon the third invaded mexico so he's oh emperor God. of the he's um norton the first emperor of the united states and protector of mexico oh my goodness august 12th 1869 he declared abolition of democratic and republican parties he wanted to get rid of party strife this guy didn't have bad ideas he, <laughs> like he not sounds, all of his ideas were bad he sounds like a pretty good emperor honestly yeah, he was serious about people treating his home san francisco with respect in 1872 he issued a stern edict so so this is supposedly from norton but this one can't be confirmed but it said whoever after due and proper warning shall be heard to utter the abominable word frisco which has no linguistic or other warrant shall be deemed guilty of high misdemeanor and <laughs> shall pay into the imperial treasury as penalty the sum of twenty five dollars. Wait a minute. So he's basically got a swear jar for people who say Frisco. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not totally on board with that, but all right. He was proud of where he came from. Yeah, right. <laughs> or, or where he was living now. Yeah. Uh, some of Norton's ideas were visionary and reveal some foresight. Uh, he. He submitted instructions to form a League of Nations. He forbade conflict between religions or their sects. He decreed construction of a suspension bridge or tunnel connecting Oakland and San Francisco. Um, later decrees showed irritation and demanded arrests for lack of prompt obedience by authorities. <laughs> um, long after his death, structures similar to Norton's bridge and tunnel idea were built in the form of the San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge and the Transbay Tube, and there have been campaigns to rename the bridge the Emperor Norton Bridge. 
Um, they're not, they have not been realized, but there is some recognition there oh, that I'll get into later. I would so sign that petition. <clears throat> so the emperor's daily routine at the time, mm-hmm. he wore a uniform. It was a blue uniform with gold, uh, plated epaulets, uh, given to him by officers of U.S. Army post at the Presidio of San Francisco. He also wore a beaver hat decorated with a peacock feather and a rosette. <laughs> totally normal. Carried a cane or an umbrella. Sure. If you're an emperor, you need a good cane. Yeah. Or umbrella. Or umbrella. <laughs> he spent his days inspecting San Francisco's streets. He inspected the condition of the sidewalks, streetcars, the appearance of the police officers. He frequently gave lengthy philosophical expositions on a variety of topics to anyone with an earshot. <laughs> uh, the caricaturist Edward Jump started a rumor that um, two noted stray dogs, Lazarus and Bummer, uh, were Norton's pets. I'll get Get to Lazarus and Bummer later. Okay. Um, Because Norton ate at free lunch counters and he would often share his meals with the dogs. But he did not own them. They weren't his. They were just like strays. But like they're as much his dogs as he is the emperor at least. Right. 1867 special officer Armand Barbier uh, of the local auxiliary force. So he was not he was not police, though the members of this force were called were titled policemen. They were technically private security guards paid by neighborhood residents and business owners. So he arrested Norton to commit him to involuntary treatment for a mental disorder. I mean, obviously this guy has some shit. Well, I was going to ask, you know, like how much do we have the sense he really believed what he was doing? I think he really believed in the things he was saying. Um, he may have been genuinely unwell. I, I like, think, this is, this I think is not he performance did, art. No, I think he he probably did have some issues. Mm. Um, but but his arrest outraged citizens. Yeah. There were scathing editorials. In the Daily Alta, they wrote um, that he had shed no blood, robbed no one, and despoiled no country, which is more than can be that can be said of his fellows in that line. Yeah. The police chief, Patrick Crowley, ordered Norton released and issued a formal apology on the behalf of the police force. Um, in response, Norton granted Barbier an imperial pardon. <laughs> <laughs> Thereafter, police officers saluted Norton as he passed. Wow. Um, so Norton did receive some tokens of his position. In 1870, the U.S. Census lists Joshua Norton as a 50-year-old man and residing at 624 Commercial Street. His occupation was listed as emperor. It also does note that he was insane. <laughs> right. So not all good. But, you know. But some acknowledgement. The fact that someone put him down officially as employed as emperor. Yeah. Is actually kind of sweet. There, there's a really great quote later that I want to share that wraps this all up nicely for me. But mm. it, I got a little bit more to say before that. In the 1860s and 70s, there were um, anti-Chinese demonstrations in the poorer districts resulting in riots. And in the 70s, there were further rallies that took place across from City Hall. And they were led by a man named Dennis Kearney, who was a leader of anti-Chinese uh, Working Men's Party of California. So on April 20, on April 20th, 1878, Norton arrived before the start of the rally and challenged Kearney. He stood like on a box and was like, come on, you and me. And he told him and the crowd to disperse. And he was ultimately unsuccessful, but the incident was widely reported for the next couple of days that he was trying to take this guy on. Wow. And get them to disperse. It's kind of heroic. 
Yeah, he <laughs> Norton also issued his own money in the form of scrip or also known as permissory notes, so kind of like IOUs. So he did himself a paper. Hmm. <laughs> he said that earlier. Uh, he did himself a do paper. Do yourself a paper. He did himself a paper. He did himself a paper. He did. He um the this I don't know, this is really endearing to me. These were actually accepted from him <laughs> by some restaurants in San Francisco. And the denominations varied between fifty cents and ten dollars. So he would just write these like promissory notes and some people took them because they knew him. He was like already at the time kind of beloved in San Francisco. He was just their character. This he was is the emperor. Incredible. Yeah. This when dude- I read this <laughs> When I saw it the first time, I was like, how did I not know that this is a person that existed? There is a guy who deemed himself the emperor of the United States, and and I didn't know. And it kind of worked. Yeah. Like, people are like, yeah, no, sure, your money is good here. Yeah. So the (laughs) a few surviving notes, like his his bills that he made for himself, are actually collector's items that now sell for more than $10,000 at auction. I believe it. Um, he was honored by San Francisco. His, when his uniform began to look shabby, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors bought him a suitably imperial replacement. Uh, Norton sent them a very genuine thank you note and issued a patent of nobility and perpetuity for each of the supervisors. Isn't that so sweet? This is like, at first this was silly. Now it's actually kind of warm in my heart. Yeah. So there, there are lots of tales of the emperor, lots of rumors surrounding him. Um, some people said he was a son of, um, oh God, the person in the beginning here, uh, Napoleon the third, oh, okay. he was a son of Napoleon the third. And then he claimed to be from Africa to try to like, you know, ev- evade, uh, persecution. Okay. Um, there were suggestions that he married Queen Victoria, uh, he reported to have met Emperor Pedro II of Brazil. No shit. Um, some people thought he was supremely wealthy but feigned poverty because he was miserly. Um, there were many decrees that were printed that were fraudulent, possibly made by editors to suit their own agendas. Uh. Um, there does exist the San Francisco Museum and Historical Society. They maintain a list of decrees that they believe to be genuine from him. So... His death was January 8th, 1880. Uh, Norton collapsed on a corner of California Street and DuPont, which is now known as Grant Avenue, in front of Old St. Mary's Cathedral while on his way to a lecture at the California Academy of Sciences. His collapse was noticed immediately, and the police officer called for a carriage to take him to the city receiving hospital, but he died before the carriage could arrive. Um so it was confirmed after that that he died in poverty. He had like five or six dollars on his person in small change. In his room, um, he had a single gold sovereign, which is worth about two dollars and fifty cents. He had an 1828 French franc. Uh, he had a handful of imperial bonds that he sold to tourists at the fictitious seven percent interest. <laughs> He had fake telegraphs from Emperor Alexander II of Russia congratulating him on, on Norton on his forthcoming marriage to Queen Victoria. Um, he had a fake telegraph from President of France predicting that such a union would be disastrous to world peace. He had his letters he had written to Queen Victoria, uh, 98 shares of stock in a defunct gold mine, a collection of walking sticks, a battered saber, a variety of headgear, including a stovepipe cap, a derby, a red-laced army cap, and a cap suited to uh, Marshal Bandmaster. Mm. 
Um, I'm assuming he switched these out depending on the day, but usually wore his beaver cap with peacock yeah. feather and rosette. <laughs> so for his funeral arrangements, he was initially to have a pauper's coffin of simple redwood, but San Francisco Businessmen's Association, um, it was called the Pacific Club Established Funeral Fund, and he ended up having a rosewood casket, and wow. they arranged a dignified farewell for him. His funeral was January 10th. It was solemn, mournful, and very large. Wow. Um, paying their respects were members, and this is a quote, of all classes from capitalists to the to the pauper, the clergyman to the pickpocket, well-dressed ladies, and those whose garb and bearing hinted of the social outcast. As many as 10,000 people lined the streets. Uh, his funeral cortege, cortege was two miles long. Wow. He was buried in the Masonic Cemetery at the expense of the city of San Francisco. In 1934, his remains were transferred to a gravesite at Woodlawn Cemetery in Coma, California, as were all graves in the city at the time. So remembering Emperor Norton, he's been immortalized as the basis of characters in the literature of Mark Twain. Um, he was basically the character of the king in the adventures of Huckleberry Finn were based, was based off him. Mark Twain lived there at the time. He, he knew this guy. Oh, really? Um, Robert Louis Stevenson um, made a character in the 1892 novel, The Wrecker, that was basically um, the emperor as well. Because he was also around at the time. Like to, to, to an author, that's irresistible. And Stevenson's, Stevenson's stepdaughter, Isabel Osborne, Mentioned Norton in her autobiography. She she was around at the time and saw him a little bit, too. Um, her, her autobiography is called This Life I've Loved, stating that he was a gentle and kindly man and fortunately found himself in the friendliest and most sentimental city in the world. The idea being, let him be emperor if he wants to. San Francisco played the game with him. And I thought that was a great way to describe how they thought of him. Yeah. And... Just very, very sweet <laughs> that the whole town, the whole city just was like, yeah, OK, like, let's do it. It's it's kind of incredible. The guy. I have a hard time seeing it any other way than like he made his own reality. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. You know, like he just like pushed through with perseverance of spirit and idea. It's like sometimes you have to take stuff like that and go, you know, what it. And in his case, it's like kind of harmless. And what's the harm in just like having him be a beloved person that we just let him do what he wants? Like, yeah, like he just like like kind of like a mascot more than anything. But like, yeah. what a wild way to live your life. So there, he's also mentioned in works by Christopher Moore, Morris and Renee Gossin, Selma Lagerlof and Neil Gaiman. He is a character in Sandman Volume 231. Uh, called Three Septembers into January. Um, he's in the Western anthology series Death Valley Days in the June 15th, 1956 episode. Emperor Norton is played by Parker Garvey. He's also in an episode of Bonanza, uh, the episode from February 27th, 1966, titled The Emperor Norton, <laughs> played by Sam Jaffe. Also in that episode is Sam Clemens, or Mark Twain, played by William Challey. In the Crusader Kings 2 strategy game, Emperor Norton appears as the first celestial emperor of California in the history files of the After the End fan fork mod. 
So there's like okay. a mod of the game that he appears in, basically, <laughs> to sum that up. That's cool. I pulled that straight from the wiki, and I was like, I don't really know anything <laughs> about that game, but he's mentioned there. Um, in, in 1976, the Imperial Council of San Francisco conducted an annual, well, they started conducting annual pilgrimage to Norton's grave in Coma. January 1980, the ceremonies conducted in San Francisco to honor the 100th anniversary of the death of the one and only emperor of the United States. Um, they also formed the Emperor Norton Trust. It was founded and based in San Francisco from 2013 to 2019. It was originally known as the Emperor's Bridge Campaign, and it's a nonprofit endeavor which engages in research, education, and advocacy to advance the legacy of Emperor Norton. Wow. Um, he is considered a patron saint in Discordianism. <laughs> and there's a park in the Republic of Molossia <laughs> named Norton Park after the emperor. I don't know if you know anything about the Republic of Molossia, but it's on my list of things to do for this. Do not. Um, it's better that way because it'll be more fun later. Okay. Um, there's a plaque commemorating Emperor Norton's call for the construction of a suspension bridge or tunnel between San Francisco and Oakland. It was commissioned in 1939 by a group called Eclampus Vitus. Um, it's moved around a bit, but eventually came to be displayed at the Transbay Terminal Center as of September 2019. Um, efforts remain to have the bridge named after Emperor Norton. And I, to sum his story up, I wrote... Not everyone's value comes from monetary wealth and influence, but if we extend a little bit of goodwill, we can find emperors among us. <laughs> it's just like as kind of a sweet story. He was just adopted by that city, and to this day, they have great love for him. So it's, I'm just amazed. How did I not know about him? <laughs> this is like, I swear, I keep learning things where I'm like, I should have known right. all about that. Right. It's such an interesting story. So I can't end the episode without also talking about Bummer and Lazarus, who are very yeah. well-known figures as well. Yeah, right. I, I, I forgot about them. So Bummer and Lazarus were two stray dogs that roamed the streets of San Francisco in the early 1860s. They had a unique bond and they were prodigious ratting dogs. So... At the time, San Francisco, like many places, had issues with free-ranging and stray dogs. Apparently, Los Angeles at the time had an issue that, like, humans were outnumbered two to one by dogs. Um, oh, yeah. San Francisco's problem wasn't quite to that level, but there were still quite a few stray dogs. And it caused problems, and at the time, dogs were regularly trapped and killed. But if a dog proved useful, like it was a really good ratter, it might survive. Yeah, see, this is why we spay and neuter animals now. <laughs> yeah. Like, like religiously, <laughs> we do that. Because mm -hmm. if you don't, your city gets overrun with stray animals. Yeah, so in 1861, um, oh, hold on, let me start before that. So... Mm -hmm. Bummer established himself outside of uh, Frederick Martin's saloon in 1860 and quickly proved himself an exceptional rat killer. So they kind of let him stay around. Yeah. He was a Newfoundland mix. So if you don't know what a Newfoundland is, they tend to be pretty large dogs. They're usually he was black and he had some white markings, but they're usually black, black and scruffy. Mm hmm. Um, so in 1861, Bummer rescued another dog from a fight with a larger dog. Um, the dog was badly injured with a deep leg wound. He was not expected to live. Bummer coaxed him to eat and brought him scraps from his own scavenging missions Aww. and huddled next to him to keep him warm. 
The injured dog recovered and was soon following Bummer around on those scavenging missions. And now I know why they called him. Yep, his recovery earned him the name of Lazarus. <sighs> That's wild. <clears throat> and Lazarus, as it turns out, was an even better rider than Bummer, and together they were a great team. Um, they once finished off 85 rats in 20 minutes. Oh, my God. A lot of rats. Just reflect on why there's 85 rats anywhere, though. What a horrible thought. It's fairly, fairly new for people to be staying in the same area in mm -hmm. these amounts and to have, like, food around. Sanitation and, is probably terrible. Yeah, so... So that's why if a dog was really good at getting rid of rats, you kind of like turned the other way because yeah. it's better than having 85 rats. Yeah, right. <laughs> Two dogs is better than 85 rats. Would rather have stray dogs. Yeah. Than um, rats. So Bummer and Lazarus had the run of the streets at this point. And June 14th, 1862, Lazarus was taken in by a new dog catcher and a mob of angry citizens demanded his release and petitioned the pair declared city property so they could wander the streets unmolested. City supervisors released Lazarus and declared the pair exempt from city ordinances against strays. A week later, the pair were reported to have stopped a runaway horse. <laughs> so it's good that they were allowed to remain on the streets. These are like the best boys. <laughs> so, so despite their reputations, they could be vicious. <laughs> Bummer was a known sheep killer and regularly fought other dogs in the street. Mm. Lazarus assisted, but mainly by barking encouragement. Yeah. And they ransacked shops when they entered and were locked in unnoticed. Oh, no. That actually... That happened when my mom was working at a pottery shop. Uh, a dog somehow got in unbeknownst to them and locked in overnight. And when they came in, it was like on one of the tables and had destroyed pottery. No. It was a Jack Russell Terrier and they found its owner. Oh, God, those dogs. They are very hyper. Insane. Um, so sometimes these dogs hung out with Emperor Norton. And basically all three of them were like beloved strays <laughs> yeah that's you know? the thing is they, they they're they're loved for a really kind of similar reason is like they're they're like they have their merit and they're just like they've been a part chosen of this town. by the the town they've been yeah. chosen so the cartoonist edward jump um made a lot of cartoons about norton and the and these dogs and kind of started the rumor that norton owned them yeah he had a comic that was titled the three bummers and it showed Norton and the two dogs kind of like trying to bum food off strangers and stuff. Oh, um, seems a little mean, but all right. Little mean, but it, he was like the person who makes the satirical comics in the papers. You know? Welp. Welp. Oh, God. How do you even introduce this? We're back. <laughs> we finished this episode. We had completed this episode. And then turned around and the laptop was off. So we didn't record part of the episode. So let's just do it all again. Which is, you know, it's fine because I realized I'd forgotten part and was sort of like interjecting it later. But I can just do it here. So, <sighs> oh um, <my> God. <laughs> it's just, OK. This it's has fine. happened like it's going to the times. second time. It's going to be even better. I feel like we this happened to us once and we had this really funny bit about a salad. Yeah, well, mm, lost and then we lost time. it. Yeah. So, 
Um, the part <sighs> that I had forgotten before. Okay. The, the press often congregated at the saloon that the dogs hung out in front of. So they saw these dogs all the time and they used to love writing about this pair and use the tales of the dog's misadventures to explain the human condition. So they often describe Bummer as the gentleman down on his luck, faithful and conscientious. <laughs> and Lazarus, the mongrel who was sly and self-serving fair-weather friend. I and really for, like that a lot. For example, at uh, one point about three months after Lazarus joined Bummer, uh, Bummer was shot in the leg. And... Um, Lazarus left to run with another dog in until Bummer had recovered. And the press stated that Bummer felt the sting of ingratitude at his desertion after he did so much for Lazarus. And when Lazarus returned, um, when Bummer was fully recovered and, and could live to scavenge another day, the press jumped on that as well. Like they they really humanized these dogs. I love this like goofy thing. And it's, I think it's like just a tendency people have. Yeah. Just to like attribute stuff like see, this to animals. See human yeah. emotions and animals. It's something that like <laughs> when you have dogs and especially for like having behavioral issues with dogs, one thing that trainers and behaviorists will tell you is like you're coming at them as though they're human and yeah, you're right. interpreting their behaviors in very human ways and they're animals. Right. Like you can't do that. But it's really funny to do that. But like, you know, we, we do that with our dogs all, all the time. time. We have attributed all kinds of bizarre stories and oh. characteristics to yeah, them. Yeah, I think that's why I like this so much because it's it's seeing like these people who've adopted these dogs and make up sort of like backstories for them the way that we make up stories for our dogs. Yeah. And it's kind of nice to see that as sort of a universal thing. It is it is very much like how we have decided that Leroy <laughs> is the ring pop prince. Yes. Um Boba is actual royalty. <laughs> And Leroy and, is... And Leroy was adopted. <laughs> so he's not part of the royal lineage, but, but they, they let, let him, him wear... Believe. They let him wear a little ring pop that he thinks is regal jewelry. Yes. He's, he's a ring pop prince. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that makes it's sense insane. to anyone but us. It's insanity. It is, it's really, really stupid. But we like it. Yeah, it We also happy. started calling him B-Chunk. <laughs> because I, We Dave, haven't talked about that on no, the podcast yet. Dave was calling him a beach hunk. Yeah, he's got a little, he's got that muscle body. He, he looks a like a muscle little, boy. little beach hunk. And it's a thing I like to do to annoy Dave is to willfully <laughs> misunderstand what he's saying. So I was like, B-Chunk? What do you mean he's a B-Chunk? And so now he's just a B-Chunk. Yeah, but the best part of that was that you like... You went like, into our group chat. Yeah, went into the group chat and was just like, everyone, you need to ask Dave what a B chunk is. <laughs> and I'm I love like, annoying at, you. At my, of course, immediately I'm it, like, it was also this. like midnight. <laughs> it was too. It was very late. And I'm, anyway. and I'm like, everyone, please disregard this message. And of course, they did not. So people just woke up to like this crazy message about B chunk. <laughs> but it does kind of look like a B chunk. It's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> So anyway, let's get back into the actual story. Yes, let's retell um, the story to ourselves again. So, so unfortunately, doggos die. And the, the death of Lazarus, it was rumored that he was kicked by a fire engine horse. But contemporary accounts say that he was actually poisoned by being given meat laced with rat bane after biting the boy. Mm -hmm. um, San Franciscans were outraged and offered $50 reward for the capture of the poisoner. It doesn't seem like anyone found him. Mm -hmm. um, it was, oh, I, the reason 
<coughs> oh, no, I said that. The the reason someone poisoned him is because he supposedly bit someone. Yeah. Um, so it was suggested he be buried in a place of honor. And the cartoonist Jump um, made a cartoon called Funeral. It was Lazarus's funeral. And it shows Emperor Norton as the Pope and Freddie Combs, who was another San Francisco eccentric who claimed to be George Washington reincarnated, digging the grave. Yeah. Um, notable San Franciscans form the, it, I don't know how to say this word actually. Is it cortege? Oh, so you said it before. I said it cortege before. I, I, I don't, don't know. I don't even know. It's I've C-O-R-T-E-G-E. never heard that word used. I'm going to say cortege and right. I might be wrong. It's fine. Um, and, and Bummer looked on mournfully. Uh, Lazarus was stuffed by a taxidermist and the city council had claimed his remains, but the saloon owner where they used to hang out. Um, his last name is Martin. He paid the taxidermist $50 for Lazarus and displayed the dog in his saloon. I would do that too. I like that he bought him out from under the city. Um, (laughs) the daily evening bulletin featured a long obituary entitled lament for Lazarus in which they praised the virtues of both dogs and recounted their various adventures together. Mm -hmm. Um, the death of Bummer, Bummer continued on alone for a little bit. He, at one point he took a small black puppy under his wing, but the puppy didn't stick around. And in November of 1865, uh, he died eventually after being kicked by a drunk named Henry Rippy. Uh, Rippy was immediately arrested <laughs> and in his cellmate that he shared with David Popley, uh, Popley heard word of what he'd done to Bummer and so... Popley popped him in the smeller. <laughs> <laughs> which which is an expression no one will ever say again. I love it. I'm going to say it all the time now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to uh, pop you one in the smeller, she. Um, Bummer's passing didn't make headlines like Lazarus's did. Uh, Jump made a cartoon of Bummer laying in state uh, with Lazarus tucking into a table of food in the ether above him. That one's my favorite. And rats paying their respects. That one's my favorite. Yeah, you can see all these cartoons. If you look up Bummer and Lazarus, the Wikipedia comes up and these comics are all in there. Yeah. Um, I like that one and I like the one called The Three Bummers, which is... um, We talked about it right before we lost audio, actually. Yeah, I I like that one best. Um, So Mark Twain produced a eulogy for him in the Virginia City Enterprise and was reprinted in the Californian on November 11th, 1865. Yeah. And I will read it now. It's also, like, I find it a little bit, it's fun. It's Hard to int- follow? No, it's like an interesting eulogy because it's like a little bit more, I think, an attempt to be like honest, even if it's a little mean. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not a typical eulogy. No, because, I mean, it's about dogs. It's like. Right. It's, and, and the villain dog of the, like, <laughs> like right? Like yeah. the dog that everyone decided was, uh, you know what? <laughs> he deserved, like, you know, they, they deserve better than this or whatever, you know? Yeah. Like, well, let's just, let me just read it. Yeah. Um, the old vagrant bummer is really dead at last. And although he was always more respected than his obsequious vassal, the dog Lazarus, his exit has not made half as much stir in the newspaper world as signalized the departure of the latter. I think it is because he died a natural death, died with friends around him to smooth his pillow and wipe the death damps from his brow and receive his last words of love and resignation, because he died full of years and honor and disease and fleas. 
He was permitted to die a natural death, as I have said, but poor Lazarus died with his boots on, which is to say he lost his life by violence. He gave up the ghost mysteriously, at dead of night, with none to cheer his last moments or soothe his dying pains. So the murdered dog was canonized in the newspapers, his shortcomings excused, and his virtues heralded to the world. But his superior, parting with his life in the fullness of time, and in the due course of nature, sinks as quietly as might the mangiest cur among us. Well, let him go. In earlier days he was courted and caressed, but latterly he has lost his comeliness, his dignity had given place to a want of self-respect, which allowed him to practice mean deceptions to regain for a moment that sympathy and notice which had become necessary to his very existence, and it was evident to all that the dog had had his day. His great popularity was gone forever. In fact, Bummer should have died sooner. There was a time when his death would have left a lasting legacy of fame to his name. Now, however, he will be forgotten in a few days. Bummer's skin, skin is to be stuffed and placed with that of Lazarus. Mark Twain. Did he say Lazarus? I might have. I might have. Um, Here's the thing. You also did the last time when Lazarus. The, yeah, on the on the audio Lazarus. that we lost, and I just kind of looked at you and the, didn't say anything. <laughs> but then you did it again. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's so a yeah. eulogy for a scoundrel. Yeah, um, it's kind of nice. I like it. Yeah, it's it is kind of nice. It's it's for a dog. It's it's honest and. <laughs> He should, in fact, he should have died sooner. I get what he was saying. He, right. he felt like... Go out at the peak. Right. Right. Yeah, I get um, that. Because Lazarus died with his boots on, he got more attention. But also, I'd like to point out that Mark Twain is wrong. We remember them both equally. I mean, we do. Yeah. Yeah. The world does. Yeah. And I, now our listeners will. You're right. <laughs> we, they live. They live. Um, So Bummer was mountain by... Mountain. <laughs> Why was... can't I talk? <laughs> it's like you was... got it all right the first time, but now we got to do I it know. again. I know. Bummer was mounted by a taxidermist as well and placed on display. In 1906, both dogs were donated to Golden Gate Park Museum, now the M.H. de Young Memorial Museum, where they remained in storage until they were destroyed in 1910. Mm -hmm. Because taxidermy gets a little weird. Yeah, skin doesn't last forever. The Dave Dragowski story. <laughs> In March 28, 1992, the e Vitus organization placed a brass plaque commemorating the dogs at Transamerica Redwood Park, adjacent to the base of the Transamerica Pyramid, where there's that plaque about Norris. So, yeah. Norris? That is, was it, isn't that his name? Norton. Norton. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We're Emperor Norton. We're, I'm we're, losing we're, my steam we're here. We're working our way it's through time it. Time to refuel. <laughs> <laughs> this is the second go. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so weird because we've had to do this before, and it's, it's hard to do the same thing again. It really is because we're both looking at each other like, yeah, we know. We yeah, just, we just talked yeah. about it, <laughs> and we did this whole bit before about how our dogs are basically Bummer and Lazarus. No, and but that's really the thing. Sweet. That's let's talk about that again. I don't care that we're repeating ourselves. <laughs> the thing is, Leroy and Bo are very much like a couple of dogs with a shit ton of personality. Yeah, that like I can super see if they were like just roving street dogs, everyone would regard them as friends with like distinct motives and. 
Yeah. Leroy would be the huckster and Bo would be the elder statesman. Yeah. Everyone who meets these thugs loves them. We didn't talk about this the last time, but like when I took Leroy to the vet this last week, Mm -hmm. they had to check him because we thought maybe he had a tick in his teeth and maybe he did, but it was gone by the time we took him to the vet. Mm -hmm. Right. After they check him out, I'm sitting there with him on the leash. Three vet assistants, these three women surround him. They, mm-hmm. I don't even think they were in control of what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> it was as if they had been bewitched. Yeah. And Leroy is just going between them, making his little kissies on their noses. And, and the one goes, oh, does he want a does he want a biscuit? And it's like, he'll eat it. And I'm just watching. Like, <laughs> what the fuck is happening? <laughs> also. I think we talked about it before, but like he he also makes these adorable little snorty sounds. And yeah. so like it, he's a cute dog and then he gets in your face to give you a kiss and he's like snorting all over you. He's like a little pig. Yeah. It, he's cute. He's damned adorable. He's the reason we adopted him is because the picture I saw of him was this weirdo little dog with a smile too big for his face yep. and like. His ears fold in half straight down. I call them little Dorito ears. Um, But he's just like weird looking and adorable and he looks so happy and he smiles. He's irresistible. He is. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and and Bo's the same way. Like if I take him anywhere, the reason I DNA tested Bo is because anytime I would go anywhere with this dog, people would stop me and be like, what kind of dog is that? People are mystified by him. Yeah. Because he doesn't look like a lot of other dogs. You Mm, once He's very unique. You once said to me, I thought it was really funny, like Bo looks like the dog I would have drawn as a kid for what a dog looks like. Yeah. Except with like, if he had slightly longer ears, that's exactly how I drew a dog with like a very distinct forehead and snoot. Yeah. And ears. And like, that's what Bo looks like. He's like the stereotypical dog. Plato's dog or something. Like, he's <laughs> like this like idealist version of a dog somehow. Yeah. Um, did we talk about Ring Pop Prince before or after? After we the, are. We talked about it this time. Around. God, this is so confusing. OK, I think we did. I, maybe we didn't. I don't know. If well, we don't, if we don't clarify what that is, people are going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't want to tell the same story twice. I don't either. We'll save it for another time. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll listen and see if we told it. Maybe we'll come back and tell it. But well, Whatever. Leroy's the ring pop prince. Uh, um, yes. But yes. Yeah. Our Pujos. Our little Pujo de Muchos. <sighs> They're amazing. I know it's so everyone it's like with people's kids where everyone's like the like boring to people (laughs) like other people are like whatever. okay, you know, but like we dote on these things. Mm -hmm. We have become those dog parents. Oh, yeah. I was always that dog parent before I even had a dog. I was not. You weren't you. This is new to you. This is brand new to me. I think you're fairly ashamed of it. (laughs) (laughs) I lost shame a long time ago. Yeah. Anyway, where were we? Yeah, it was basically the end. We're just talking about how our dogs have these same personalities. I, mm-hmm. it, it's just really, really fun to see a town adopt strays, yes. dogs and people, in the way that San Francisco did in these cases. And the thing I wanted to say about it that I said before is just that, like, it's marked by by a lack of cynicism to me. <laughs> Yeah, that I do think is really nice. And it also applies to super pimp. It's like what you get out of both of these stories is like 
people deciding to like something. Yeah. To embrace something and just embrace it yeah. and not have to be a dick about it or, you yeah. know, look down on it. It's just it's very heartwarming to me. Yeah. And I said it before, but I'll say it again. I feel better now that you told me about this. Yay. <laughs> I feel better having said it twice. Yeah. <laughs> it's OK. This, this has happened to us like maybe twice before. Yeah. And it's just always so weird and confusing. At least this time we had most of the episode. We and did. And it wasn't the whole intro or something. Oh, my God. That's just like so bad. Like having that to do a whole thing. That time was awful. Just the whole thing over. Yeah. That one sucked. Oh, my God. It was pretty early on, I think. Um. Yeah, it was. I feel like I... I don't know. I thought I had a system. Now I need like a checklist. Yeah. Plug in your laptop, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. So that's that's it, huh? Yeah. That's the story. That's the story of uh, the the three was the three the three bummers the three bummers uh, as well as Super Pimp. Mm-hmm. We should send a letter to Super Pimp. Okay. I kind of want to. Anyway. Just. Let's get Super I don't Pimp know on the show. Say. I feel like we'd have to pay him. We probably would. <laughs> Wonder how much he goes for. Oh. Does Super Pimp do podcast appearances? Let's find I out. I bet he would. Although it's a, it kind of loses something to not be able to see him. Yeah, you're right. The appeal of Super Pimp is very much. He's, he's a personality meant for v at least video. Yeah. Really in person, but at least video. Yeah. You can't encapsulate him just with voice alone. Mm -hmm. You gotta see those suits. The suit's too loud. You wouldn't be able to hear us over it. <laughs> it's true. My God, what is that sound? Oh, it's, it's your suit. suit. Um. Anyway, I guess we're done again. <laughs> 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 this is a weird day. It's like it's almost five. Mm -hmm. We're never doing this this late. It's like always we're like done by two. So this is just kind of an odd day to begin with. It's okay. It's fine. still a good day. Yeah. It can still be a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, and will. Yeah, right. Uh, but anyway, um, I guess uh, thanks for listening to Goose Chase. Goose Chase. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Goose Chase. With Goose Chase. Goose Chase. Thanks for listening again, too. Goose Chase. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll be back. Uh, have a great couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Uh, bye. bye. You've been listening to Goose Chase. We are Goose Chase Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, our handle is at Goose Chase Pod, and our website is www.goosechasepodcast.com. If you have any topics you'd like us to research, please email us at goosechasepodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do on the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and Google Play. Want to go on a goose chase? Ooh, yes. 